Hey, good morning again, friends. Indeed, Jesus is unfailing, and um, because that is true, we can have great confidence in God's word as it comes to us this morning. Last week, Sunday, we started a month-long January journey to catch the big vision uh, that God is out to heal and restore this world that his heart loves so much. Um, I called God the great vaccinator. It just kind of slipped out last week. I think that's a pretty great modern uh, theological description of what God is up to in our midst. Um, here is a little picture of the original goodness that God created. At the heart of creation, um, there was a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. We were designed for close collaboration and community and around them for harmony with the created world and ultimately for community and harmony with God himself. And God declared that this picture, his original intent for all of us and the world, the whole universe, is that it is very good. This week, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, and it's a little bit of a different story. It's the beginning of the bad news. Um, to state the obvious, um, this last week was a bad week in America. Um, a protest in Washington, D.C. morphs into an unruly mob which for a time breaches the walls and occupies the halls of our Capitol building, the very seat of government where our duly elected congressional members were there um, to present the certified results of our 50 United States, and that got interrupted in a way that it has never gotten interrupted before. And in the wake of that, there has been this weird, censorious aftermath uh, to push back against people or positions that we disagree with. This has been a bad week. No matter what party or president holds power in the future, I am hoping that, Lord willing, we will have learned enough from the events of this last season, in particular this last week, that we will never see a day like last Wednesday again in our lifetimes. There's a hopeful thought. <laughs> as dark as this day was, the part of the Bible where we are going to land today Genesis 3, verses 1 through 11, takes us to an even darker and more difficult and more horrible day. In fact, it is the original difficult and horrible day. That original goodness that God created for human beings to be the pinnacle of his creation and community together, that is going to break and a rift is going to go down the middle. God's intention for us to be at harmony with the world around us, that is going to get shaky and broken and undone as well, and God's intention for this whole world to be in loving community and in good order with his loving presence, that is going to become disordered as well. As bad as the story that we're about to share is, because God is involved, there is going to be hope through it and in the wake of it. Kara did a beautiful job telling the story to our kids. I'm going to pretty much go verse by verse in the adult version of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God has made. And the serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This, friends, is classic textbook, devilish behavior. You notice that the serpent doesn't invite Eve to doubt God's existence or even God's um, authority to say what we may or may not eat. The devil goes after 
throwing some shade on God's trustworthiness. If God really said that, what kind of God would he be? Have you ever had that thought rise up in you? If this is happening, can I really trust God? I mean, has anybody had this thought in 2020? Like, probably we have all had this thought in some degree or another. The devil's classic maneuver, especially for those of us who might be here or watching worship on a Sunday morning, is not to tempt us to doubt fundamental belief in God, but to doubt our belonging in God. You catch that? Probably you are not going to be tempted to doubt fundamental belief, but to doubt your belonging to God and his trustworthiness and goodness toward you, absolutely that all the time. That is what evil is after. By the way, the quickest way out of this is simply to declare or say out loud, because the devil and his minions really are idiots at the end of the day, is just to say, I belong to God. If you've been baptized, to say, I have been baptized. The blood of Jesus has claimed me. Like, when that temptation, whether you belong or not, say it out loud. It's the simplest way to send evil running. Eve, on the other hand, starts up a conversation with the serpent. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now there is the lie. You will not certainly die. There won't be consequences. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. It is mostly true, everything that comes out of the serpent's forked tongue. But here is another devilish trick. To mostly tell the truth, but to put one deadly lie right at the center of it. And it's enough to pollute the whole chain And this particular lie, as the devil often does, again, is about the consequences. If you do this thing that you know you're not supposed to do, the consequences will not be that bad. It's not like you're going to die or anything. Have you ever had a thought like this if you're a kid? Well, it's kind of bad, but it's not like the teacher's going to catch me, right? What are the chances? Or as a grown-up, my boyfriend's not going to find out. My husband's not going to find out about this. He doesn't understand anyway. It's not going to hurt him. There's no way the IRS is going to catch this. I'm not going to be investigated. What are the odds? If you ever have any thoughts about a train of consequences, you can rest assured that this is the classic tempter, putting something in front of you that may be mostly true, but there is a deadly corrupting lie right at the center of it. When the woman saw that the tree was good, that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, those are all great things. What could go wrong? She took some and ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves, Nakedness is here not a shameful thing. It is not to cast shade on human sexuality. Nakedness here simply means that after eating this deadly fruit, human beings realized for the first time that they were disconnected from God and therefore vulnerable. Nakedness equals 
deadly vulnerability and awareness of just how deep our vulnerability apart from God's protection goes. This is like a disease, friends. There's the toxin, the lie from the serpent, which at first was just out there. It at first was just words, but then it was internalized. The lie literally was eaten with this piece of fruit, and now it goes into the human system, and the infection is in here and in here. And once the infection is inside us, if you know this word, it goes septic. It's like the infection takes over not only in individual humans, but in the whole cosmos and in the human race. Here's this picture again. Everything gets broken as a result. This original sin is a pollutant that is not only going to break the circle of trust between God and the human family, but also breaks our trust in one another and our interdependence with the natural world around us as well. And now all these years later, we are still trying to cover ourselves, are we not? We're a little more nuanced and clever than to use fig leaves these days. We like to use diplomas or dollars, or doctored photos of ourselves. whatever we can do to make ourselves appear less vulnerable to the outside world, that is what we like to do. That is a problem. This fundamental hiding from God and hiding from one another, this just keeps the whole cycle going round and round and round. God interrupts. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. There it is, the fundamental things we keep doing, hiding from God and one another. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is the first question that God asks in the Bible. By the way, the very first question is this horrible devilist question, God didn't really say that, did he? But God's first question has everything to do with his heart to restore his relationship with us. Where are you? You can hear in that first question from God his longing for the togetherness and the community that we were created for. And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so the cycle of sinful corruption begins. These are the consequences of sin in a nutshell. Hiding from God, hiding from one another, and here's why evil stinks. It not only breaks all these relationships that are so beautiful in the mind and the heart of God, one of the things about evil stinking so bad and why we should detest it is because evil actually has no power on its own. What evil can do is only parasitically like suck the life out of something good and then claim it as its own and spread its vile corruption, right? What is a lie? It's only the perversion of the truth, right? Like you can't just spread pure falsehood. It is most potent when it has something to do with the truth. Why does betrayal hurt us so much? It's because we had a beautiful friendship or a beautiful relationship that got broken. That's when evil is at its worst. The more good it has to work with, the stronger evil is because on its own, it is literally nothing. Sin is like a virus. 
Sin is a virus. By the way, scientists tell us that viruses, most biological scientists will tell you, like, viruses are actually not living things because they cannot self-replicate on their own. They can only do damage once they get inside a host, another living thing, and then parasitically suck on the energy and life of a host to get their own life cycle repeating. Anybody a big fan of viruses right now? <laughs> we should have the same loathing for the way sin works. And yet somehow when sin presents itself to us, it seems so attractive. What could go wrong? We're going to take a quick biological aside and uh, I'm going to talk you through the way a virus works. You can check out the screen. So a virus, once again, here's a human cell, the smallest structure of life, unit of life. There's a nucleus in there manufacturing proteins. We replicate DNA. There's a little virus. And it's like, hmm, can I suck the life out of this thing? A virus can convert healthy cells into mindless virus-producing machines. A virus gains entry by using its outer protein coat. It's covered in these keys or antigens looking to unlock one of the doors on the outside of a healthy cell to gain entry. Can't get in that one. Not the right shape, but here we go. If a virus is successful, it can either drop some of its code into a cell. There we go. Or the entire virus penetrate its into the inner workings of a cell. Once inside a cell, a virus will begin to use its molecular arsenal to hijack our healthy cells and protein manufacturing systems. After integrating itself into a cell's DNA, the virus begins to do its dirty work, replicating itself using our stolen machinery. This is truly parasitic. The virus can't do any of this on its own. It needs our health to do its thing. Without a cell even knowing, the virus performs this dirty, secretive process to manufacture and assemble. And it begins to take over again one of our healthy cells to such an extent that the viral products will then erupt forth from the original cell in search of new host cells. It's like a bunch of baby spiders bursting from a new sack. And on and on and on it goes. Sin works the same way. It gets inside us. It multiplies. We do something. We do damage to someone else. They take it inside themselves. There's a little bit of <laughs> hard feelings. Some more bad behavior bubbles up to the surface. Viruses stinks. Virus stink. And sin, at its core, stinks. It has no power of its own, but can only pervert the God-given things that God in his wisdom has put into creation. What is to stop this process? What is to put an end to it? Talking spiritually now, not biologically any longer. The grace of God is the only thing that is going to stop this process. It's not hard work. It's not being clever. It's not a good education. It's not figuring your way out. It is only the grace of God in your life and opening yourself to the health and the strength and the beautiful grace of God that can stop this process. Here's how the story goes in Genesis 3. 
Then God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now the tone of voice in which you hear these words from God makes all the difference in your faith life. If you hear God like with a tone of surprise, who told you that you were naked? That implies a weak and intimate and impotent and clueless God. God is none of those things. God was not shocked or surprised. If you hear God saying these words with just horrid anger, who told you that you were naked? Then your image of God is one that is fundamentally judgmental. That is not God's tone here, I believe. But if you hear God saying with ache and heartbreak in his voice, Adam, Eve, who told you that you're naked? Then I think your faith and your heart is on the right track. God's heart is breaking at this point because we, as the high point of his created order, chose not to belong to him and not trust what he told us. God, in his kindness, does two things. This doesn't seem so kind at first, but I'll explain. God drives Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. It says this, After God drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, a mighty angelic warrior with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Why is God guarding the way to the tree of life and keeping us away from that tree? Because God loves us too much to let us live forever in this kind of broken, tragic state. Like, can you hear that from the heart of God? God knows that now that the virus has gotten out into the world, that sin is going to break us in such a way that he will not allow the people that he loves so much to go on living forever in the, in the state that we are currently living. If you ever feel out of step, if you ever feel that things are not the way they are supposed to be, you are exactly right. And God is not going to allow this state of affairs and this state of affairs to continue forever and praise the Lord, Lord have mercy. He has something better in mind. He has a cure in mind. He has something healthier in mind. He has an existence where we're vaccinated against the parasitic power of evil in mind and he will not let us live forever in anything other than that. God does one other thing in Genesis chapter 3. It says that the Lord God made garments of animal skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. They had been trying to hide behind fig leaves, and God intervenes and provides them with actual clothing to now protect their vulnerable selves. It's, it's as if God is saying, even though my heart is breaking, I'm going to love you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to protect you, not from all the trouble of the world. There is no getting away from this. Death is the only exit now, but I am going to protect you and preserve you come what may. Friends, there are big and brutal consequences because of our fall into sin. There is collateral damage 
all over the place. Our disease is terminal for every single one of us. We all bear the consequences in one way or another in our minds, in our bodies, in our hearts, in our souls. It is not fair how these consequences get distributed, but God is involved every single step of the way. And here's the good news. If you want to hear more of it, please tune in next week. God's grace is here to enter each and every one of our situations. And God is here in his grace to enter into the big picture, to do something beyond which we could ask or imagine, to heal and restore and create for us a life that is of an everlasting and eternal quality, better than anything that we've got going on yet. God, we thank you in advance for that. Please, amen? Here's how we can cooperate in the meantime. Stop hiding. When we hide, we cut ourselves off from the wave of grace that God would seek to wash over us. We're like little kids who desperately need a shower or a bath. (laughs) And if we're hiding in the basement from our parents or hiding beneath our covers, we're not going to get in the bath. But when we come to God and say, (laughs) God, only you can work with this. I need a bath. I need a shower in your grace. Then we give God permission to do his best and most beautiful work. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you in that posture. Why do we think that we need to present ourselves as folks who have awesome accomplishments, who have our act together, Um, If any year should have taught us that we are totally vulnerable and we cannot make it on our own, it is the season that we're living in. So we say at least honestly in this moment and in your presence, God, oh, how we need you. Lord, in your mercy, have your way with us. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to sing together just that, invite you to stand and lift up your voice.